Hi, I'm Adam Shepard. And I'm Jane McCallion. And you're listening to the IT Pro Podcast, where this week we're finally addressing the US presidential <laughs> election. We tried. We tried last week, but it didn't work out. But last Saturday, news outlets finally called the election for Joe Biden after an agonising five-day wait for results. And oh. I think it's fair to say it was a, a stressful week for all of us. Mm, Although I don't think I've ever refreshed Twitter as often. Ah, uh, See, I just ended up putting it down. I was like, do you know what? When something happens, a BBC alert will come through and it will be, you know, kind of like whoever has won. Um, although that did mean a couple of false starts when BBC alerts came through for other things, because mm. other news was also happening at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, it would have been a great week to sneak out some news that you didn't want getting noticed. Yeah, yeah. And while I'm sure that everybody has seen the uh, the Rudy Giuliani outside uh, the Four Seasons <laughs> not hotel, <laughs> the Four Seasons total landscaping parking lot, uh, if you hadn't, then... Do give it a watch. It's better than you can possibly imagine. Um, and I love that people are talking about it being an accident, them accidentally booking that. And I'm I'm not sure that that's what happened. I'm, mm. I, I'm not certain that it was a that it was an accident. It might have just been <laughs> what happened in the end. <laughs> um, but yes, yes, you know, admittedly, you know, things are kind of strictly speaking not finished but yeah Biden is president hooray for him and while there are lots of other podcasts available that focus on politics we're going to be looking at what the new president-elect means for the tech industry both in the US and beyond. Joining us this week to talk about Biden's plans for the tech industry is IT Pro's US managing editor Justin Coupler. Justin thanks for joining us. Hey guys thanks for having me. So, a Biden presidency, what could it mean for the tech industry? Well, I think it's fair to say that the tech industry has gone through some major changes since 2016, uh, not least of which has been Trump's crackdown on immigration, which has provoked a lot of consternation from the tech industry, which has traditionally relied on things like uh, H-1B visas to bring in skilled workers from overseas to fulfill technical roles, something that they've struggled to do now that H-1B visas have been curtailed in the way they have by the Trump administration. Do we think that we're going to see these restrictions being opened up, more H-1B visas being granted, more uh, foreign tech professionals coming into the US to, full, uh, to fill those roles? I think it's going to be a, a twofold change. Um, <clears throat> first of all, Joe Biden has already said that he plans to release more executive orders to roll back um, Trump's executive orders, which I believe the H-1B was by executive order, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Um, he's planning on rolling those back. So I think that's one of the ones that's going to be included in that rollback. And on top of that is the is the is the public view, the worldwide view of America has shifted in the past four years. It has, and no one can can say it hasn't. I think with a new president coming in, it might we might start mending those fences also and start bringing more people in just based on that. Plus the opening of the H one B visas, I think we're going to see see a lot more of that coming in in the future. Now, obviously, the question of people coming to the U S for work is currently slightly moot while we're in the throes of uh, coronavirus and people are being advised to travel as little as possible, particularly overseas. But 
once all of this clears up and travel becomes more feasible, how long is it going to take realistically if Biden wants to start opening up those channels again? How long is it before we'll see a measurable increase in the amount of people coming over? That would greatly depend on several things. Uh, the first problem we're going to run into is that while we had the presidential election and that was great, we also had the Senate races and, and, and the Republicans currently hold the Senate. And mm. if the races continue the way they're going to, we have a couple of runoff races to for really close elections. I mean, some states have close elections. They have secondary runoff elections. So we have a few of those to go through. But if those come out the way they're trending right now, we're still going to have a split Congress. So we're still going to have Democrats controlling the House, Republicans controlling the Senate, mm. which means and they're going to hold the Senate. The Republicans will hold a total Congress majority. So if Biden tries to get in and push through dramatic <clears throat> executive orders, the Congress has the ability to override them with a, with a majority vote. So if Joe Biden puts in an executive order rolling back the H-1B visa restrictions, chances are those the, the Republicans in Congress are going to have the votes necessary to override that executive order. So we're probably going to have to wait. He, he's going to try. He will try. But we're likely going to have to wait at least another two years for the next midterm elections to see what happens with the Senate there. I'm not sure what seats are available, but we'll probably have to wait two years to see any substantial change in that. So probably one of the biggest tech stories of the Trump presidency has been his hostility towards China and Chinese uh, tech companies. So Huawei um, in particular has been a big one and more recently ByteDance, which owns TikTok, uh, which as I understand it is a thing for the young people to make videos of themselves, but who knows? Do you think that Biden is going to take a particularly different view of that as well? Or is that kind of, is there more to that than just the uh, the trade war? I think there's a lot more to it than purely just trade war. Um, the Huawei thing, what we're talking about is security. We're talking about some proven security issues, things that have been found, things that have been proven. Um, and, and I believe there's some copyright issues tied into that as well. That is a known issue that I don't see being changed by any, any president who comes in, um, simply because it is proven. Now, when you get down to things like ByteDance and TikTok, that seemed a little bit more um, based in the trade war, based on, on Donald Trump. Trump's dislike for anything coming from China. There is no proof of the user data getting taken away, no proof of it being used incorrectly. Um, while there were suspicions, it was never proven. Um, and I think what's, what we're going to see there with the ByteDance one is, first of all, China has kind of paused on approving the deal. Um, that's first. And we know why they paused. There's a clear reason why they paused, because the presidency, the presidential election was coming up. So they paused on this to see what was going to happen. And my suspicion is that Joe Biden will go in and say, OK, let's talk a little bit more about what's going on. What can we do on our side to to protect our users data, which we need to do? We absolutely do. While not taking away a valuable asset from the from China, I mean that that is we're basically ripping that asset from China at this point. So what I'm going to probably expect is something along the lines of keep the current deal as it is, but get rid of the requirement to have any portion of the company come over to the U.S. That's probably what we're going to see. The data data get managed over here, but the company remain 100% in ByteDance's hand is probably the the, the likely outcome. Because it did seem, you know, how they were hoping to resolve this did seem like a a a bit of a fudge as far as I could see. You know, it was 
I was reading it and I was like, this doesn't make an awful lot of sense. You know, it's kind of trying to fix it, but in a really roundabout, not great for anybody way. Mm. So the the current plan, I believe, is to have the uh, data for US customers or US TikTok users, rather, to be held in Oracle managed servers, uh, thereby supposedly negating ByteDance's ability to uh, expatriate that data to China and do whatever nefarious deeds they were supposedly planning on doing <laughs> with it. Uh, which, yeah, I, I, I think you're right, Jane, doesn't really seem to address any of the, the real root issues which were supposedly the, the cause of the consternation in the first place. Yeah, there was a there was a secondary side of that whole deal where um, where Oracle was going to take part ownership of of TikTok as well. Um, ByteDance retained majority ownership, but Oracle would get partial ownership, and that's what satisfied the the ownership part of the whole deal that Trump wanted. I think going back to Huawei, though, that's for me going to be the more interesting piece of this because. While TikTok is hugely popular at the moment, it's not as critical in the same way that some of Huawei's technology is. Uh, we've seen this in the UK with our own Huawei ban, uh, which is predicted to cost you know billions of pounds and set back the UK's 5G development significantly because Huawei is a market leader in 5G, and you know up until the ban was planned to be the centerpiece of a lot of 5g networks and without that it does you know it throws a lot of things up in the air in terms of who's providing that infrastructure how it's being delivered what the roadmap is for it whether or not existing huawei infrastructure needs to be torn out and replaced so i think if that does end up changing in any significant way it could be very interesting indeed, particularly because the current restrictions aren't permanent. They're a rolling embargo that has to be renewed every three months by the Department of Commerce, I believe. Uh, and, you know, it, it's kicking the can effectively. Yeah, in, in I guess in the UK and Europe, one of the ways that we're solving it, yeah, we do have... Uh, despite what Nick Clegg may have uh, intimated previously, <laughs> um, we do have leaders in 5G. We have Nokia and we have Ericsson, notably, um, mm. in terms of infrastructure providers. Justin, um, have you got an equivalent in the US that might be able to fill this 5G gap? Or are you also probably going to be looking at some of the European providers, do you know? I believe we're going to be looking towards some of the European providers. I believe it's uh, Ericsson. I think is what I've read that we're going to be looking toward. Um, I, I know we have some 5G infrastructure here, very the very basics, of course. Um, so my guess is we would probably look toward um, toward European uh, vendors for that. Um, but there could be some some government funds that come in to try to try to spur the development over here as well, because we do mm. like to keep a lot of our development here, a lot of our purchases from companies based in the U.S. But in all likelihood, we're going to probably go with a global global approach and, and reach out to other countries that have uh, have the infrastructure already there or have it being developed. Yeah, and it's interesting that you say that about the the U.S. having the kind of bare minimum of 5G infrastructure because US 5G speeds are actually quite significantly ahead of what we get in certainly the UK. I'm not sure about the rest of Europe, but because the US has uh, millimeter wave 
5G in a lot of places. The actual real world speeds that US users are getting from 5G are way, way out in front of what we in the UK enjoy. You know, we're talking like gigabit plus download speeds in a lot of kind of major cities, which is worlds away from uh, what we're getting. And I believe that 5G and broadband infrastructure expansion in general is set to figure high on Biden's tech agenda. It's something that he's spoken about in the past. So hopefully we could see a lot more uh, broadband expansion uh, during his term, particularly in rural areas. Yeah, we do show some some significant speeds in in the big cities uh, when you're near one of those millimeter wave uh, towers. But again, that there's a lack of spread of that. Yeah, the millimeter wave tower is putting out that one gigabyte speed, but that's if you're within a couple of blocks of that tower. Now, the for, the fortunate side in the U.S. is we do have a lot of towers out there, so you do get a lot more of those small patches of that full 5G millimeter wave technology out there. Um, but the vast majority of our 5G is really no faster than LTE. TE because it's the, the one that's spread out across the entire country. That's that that standard 5G that's on the uh, six gigahertz scale. That is not that's no faster really than 4G LTE right now. Would an increase in uh, 5G base stations and the coverage of 5G does that uh, face any problems in the same way that it has over here? People are scared of 5G. They think that it is causing everything from cancer to COVID to you know, controlling your brain or whatever. Um, is that so much of a thing over there as well? And is it likely to mean any resistance to increased infrastructure? That remains to be seen. Um, a, a lot of this is going to bank on what happens in the next three months, the next the, the transition period. Um, because as we know, the current administration enjoys their conspiracy theories. They do like them. Uh, one of which was the windmills give cancer. Um, so <laughs> if he grabs a hold of this, the 5G stuff, and starts spreading out there that it causes cancer, that could bring that out there. We do have a large group of people who are very inf influenced by these conspiracy theories. They love to pick up on them. They love to spread them. Um, given that he does not pull that kind of string... I don't see that becoming an issue. I haven't heard much about 5G being considered causing cancer or anything like that here. You know, we've had, there are some people who believe Wi-Fi inside your house causes cancer, but that's a very small percentage of our, our group. You know, we're not out there lighting uh, lighting towers on fire and everything. No, if that's, oh. if that's what you're asking. <laughs> I take that aspersion very, very personally. <laughs> and I meant it very personally. <laughs> Jane, we all know what you get up to on the weekends. <laughs> Um, so, Justin, I mean, my my massive hobby horse, as regular listeners will know, is rural connectivity. And, you know, Joe Biden has spoken about being the president of the whole of America, not just the left, you know, not just the coasts or whatever, the whole. In the middle of America, you have a lot of um, you know, kind of rural communities. How well served are they currently when it comes to things like broadband or just Internet access in general? And do you see any investment going into improving those areas with better broadband? 
Yeah, well, a world divide is here. It's not as significant as some areas, but we do have it. There are some areas out out, out in the middle of the country when you get up in the north, uh, the northeast that are too rural and they do not have proper connectivity. And some of them just have limited connectivity. Uh, when you get into the Midwest and to closer to the cities, you get capped internet, which means, yeah, you have broadband, but they cap you at one gigabyte per month or something like that. So once you hit that cap, you're done. You can't go online for the rest of the month. So... We have that here, and it is prevalent. We do see it, especially now with everyone going to school remotely. That's really causing a lot of issues. And the Trump administration did start closing that world divide. They did launch a program. They launched a pilot that eventually became, I can't remember what the name of the program is, but they launched a program that was, I believe, $20 billion going into rural development. Uh, but it hit a lot of roadblocks, a lot of snags, and it's since stalled. Nothing has really come from it. Um, he was turning down states. He was turning down municipalities that had already gotten funding from states. He was blocking them from getting more funds, which created a lot more turmoil than needed to be. Now, Joe Biden has spoken about this. He has said that he does have a plan to close that rural divide, which is, is a key initiative for him because the we all see the map of the U.S. during the election. The coastlines, the cities are all blue, are in the center of the country. The rural areas are all red. The hope is to get more information to these red areas in hopes of bringing the balance of the country together so it's more equally divided. Not that we want to try to change these things to the Democrat or make them change their opinions because... They got on the internet. We just want to get that information out there and make it more widespread. So my guess is that, yeah, Joe, Joe Biden has a plan out there. And whether or not that will actually come to fruition has yet to be seen. I know that mm. SpaceX and uh, several other um, tel telecoms are out there launching satellites to get out there and create speeds or create broadband for these rural areas. But how much funding can they dump into that and how quickly can it roll out is what remains to be seen. We're going to take a quick break now, but when we come back, we'll be talking about the possibility of breaking up big tech and social media crackdowns. See you after the break. Welcome back. Now, one of the Trump administration's earliest controversial moves in terms of its tech policy was to repeal the net neutrality laws that Obama's previous administration had put in place. The Trump administration reshuffled the FCC board, uh, put in a controlling number of uh, Republican uh, commission members and repealed the net neutrality protections. This was something that ISPs and cable providers were broadly in favor of for reasonably self-explanatory reasons. <laughs> but faced a lot of criticism from advocacy groups, people like the Electronic Frontier Foundation, groups around digital privacy, as well as a fairly broad outcry from consumers. Now, is this something that we're likely to see Biden repealing or reinstating, rather, given that he was vice president when it was introduced in the first place? The short answer, yes, um, absolutely. Uh, he was in the administration when it was into law. He supported it at that time and he has supported it all the way through its repeal and everything. But the problem becomes the timing. That is one of those things he can't roll in with an executive order and pull back. That is run purely by the FCC and as long as they have their controlling majority three to two, it's going to remain in law. Now, the chairman's commission expires or his term rather expires i believe it's in 2023 if i'm not mistaken it's july or june 2023 and i think before that chair even gets cold he's going to have a new commissioner in there 
and then put a a democratic a democrat rather in the seat that he takes to fill the commission chair chairperson's chair so you're going to get a new flip of this it's going to be three two democrat at that point it's going to be just a matter of pulling the law back in and reenacting it so is it going to be 2023 before we see any progress on this or are there other seats on the commission that will expire sooner which could uh, expedite that flip even if a seat expired sooner it wouldn't help because you can only have a majority of three of any one uh one party and those ah. seats are firmly in place um and I believe Ajay's, I think that's how you pronounce his last name, or not, I'm sorry, Pai, I think is how you pronounce his last name. I believe he is the next one, next conservative seat to come up available, mm. which is going to be 2023. Now, Joe Biden can get in there and he can lobby them in attempt to negotiate uh, to get net neutrality reenacted, but it's highly unlikely that this conservative SEC is going to go for that. Mm. Pai is, of course, a noted opponent of net neutrality laws. Uh, campaigned hard against them uh, prior to his appointment at the FCC uh, and very quickly stripped them back as soon as he was put in the chair. Uh, so it's unlikely that uh, the FCC under his leadership is going to countenance any repeals. Yeah, and the irony of his appointment is he was originally an Obama appointee. Hmm. Hmm. One of the things that uh, fell off the agenda a little bit, but that was earlier on in the Democrat leadership campaign a bit more um, prevalent is the idea of breaking up big tech. It was something that Elizabeth Warren was championing in particular. Do you think that's something that's going to rise back up in importance again um, and is likely to make any headway? Well, it's, it's definitely going to make some headway, I believe, in the next three months um, before Biden takes office because there is an active antitrust lawsuit against uh, Google right now. Mm. So depending, and it's controlled by Trump's Department of Justice, so depending, on, it's filed by Trump's Department of Justice. So depending on how quickly that accelerates, that can kind of tip the scales either direction. If that goes quickly and there's a resolution at the end of either breaking up Google into smaller pieces, breaking up its its advertising group from the rest of it, or whatever it is, that could start that process. But if it does not finish by time Donald Trump leaves office and Joe Biden comes into office, I don't expect to see Joe Biden take leaps and bounds toward breaking up big tech. He has said that it is something they need to look into. He has mentioned that, but he hasn't actually taken active stance against all big tech he doesn't like it you know no no politicians are fans of big tech on either side but he is skewed on the quiet side of the hey let's break up big tech as he is more of a centrist democrat whereas um elizabeth warren is a very far left democrat um so the farther center you get the less likely they are to want to really break up big tech yeah and i think in general uh biden has been more scalpel than hedge trimmer about the whole anti-monopoly and corporate regulation thing. Uh, the Democrats in general seem to be a bit more gung-ho than the Republicans about actively splitting up larger tech companies, but I feel like Biden is leaning more on the softly, softly side. Yeah, and that's that's really his that that's his whole that's his whole political stance and everything. Um, being that centrist Democrat, he 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 carves delicate, like I said, more of a scalpel with his policy and everything. He's carving delicately to kind of hit each side of the each side of the the Congress, the left and right side of it, to appease everybody. And that's hopefully his plan with with the big tech issue. We we know big tech needs to 
something needs to be split up, just like the telephone companies here back in the, I think it's the 1980s or 1970s. They're getting a little bit too big, a little bit too much control. So there probably is some things that have to be done there. And he's going to work carefully with the scalpel to try to meet, meet the needs of both sides and make it fair. I, we, we've kind of spoken a little bit already, or you hit on a couple of the big tech companies, but they are, you know, social media is quite often what springs to mind when you talk about big tech, you know, Twitter, Facebook in particular, especially mm. Facebook. Um, Section 230 is under fire because of the power that these organisations wield. Um, just briefly for our British listeners, Section 230 effectively protects uh, internet organisations against prosecution for things that are published on their sites. So you know, historically, it was meant to mean that ISPs or uh, web hosting providers couldn't be prosecuted if somebody published something libelous or massively racist or whatever. But that's now under review because of the power that social media companies hold. What do you think is going to happen with that? Yeah, the, the problem you run into with Section 230 is, it, is it's kind of twofold. So it has to be touched very delicately. So Section 230, like you said, it does protect them against litigation if someone posts something inflammatory on the website or social media or on YouTube or whatever. But the other side of that is it also protects them against First Amendment lawsuits if they censor these people. So when someone posts something inflammatory on Twitter on Twitter, or they, they post something about the election and they put a tag on it, it protects them from getting free speech, quote unquote, litigation. So it keeps them from getting getting sued in that side as well. So it protects them on both sides. Um, on the Republican side, what they're looking at now is a complete revocation of it. Just pull it out completely. But the problem with that, and they want to do that because they want they don't want the censorship anymore. The problem with that then becomes the lawsuits. So what's going to wind up happening there is you're going to end up having these weird cues that you have to put your content in that it's got to get approved or kicked back to be revised. You know, not you know, kind of like someone writing a story it goes to the editor. They say, nope, this isn't good enough. You got to redo it. You're going to one of the things like that on Twitter because they can't afford the risk of being sued on either side. And what the Democrats and Joe Biden have talked about with Section 230 is more of a revision, more of a massaging. Let's take away that immunity. You know, we, we need to take that away. They, they need to be held, held liable for this stuff because that will in turn make them want to censor this inflammatory content. With the protections, they can just say, yeah, you know what? We're not going to take this down. And that's that. And then the people get a hold of it, it becomes viral, then it becomes a problem. So their goal is to take away that just the immunity side of it so that they are encouraged to go in there and censor the content. And I think it's worth pointing out the differences in the problems that Democrats and Republicans have with Section 230. Uh, as you touched on, the Republican side is concerned about uh, censorship. Uh, there are accusations that social media sites, Facebook and Twitter in particular, are censoring conservative uh, viewpoints and conservative outlets and conservative voices on their platforms. Uh, and, you know, they want to retool or remove Section 230 in order to help curtail this. Whereas the Democrats are much more concerned about the spread of things like hate speech, about things like extremist uh, recruiting, about inflammatory content, uh, harmful content in general. Mm. Uh, and I think that's that's quite an important distinction to look at. Um, the other big question is around moderation. Uh, 
because as as you noted repealing section 230 would require social media sites to much much more closely moderate the content that they put up which the social media sites say is unfeasible and they cannot perform moderation at that scale the vast majority of moderation certainly in the case of facebook is performed automatically by AI algorithms that use image recognition and word recognition to detect content that may be in violation of uh, its policies or that may be illegal and to flag it for a human moderator's attention. There's been a lot of coverage about this system and you know the fact that it doesn't really work at scale and the fact that for the you know limited amount of human moderators that Facebook does employ it can be a huge and very mentally damaging workload and increasing that workload to the degree that repealing section 230 would involve the social media networks say would just be unfeasible for them to continue operating yeah well it come at a, at a massive expense to them uh is like i mentioned before the risk is there of course there's a risk of lawsuits and litigation but but the cost that's the other side that yeah i didn't touch on um the, the cost associated with this could could put some of these companies out of business i mean they make billions of dollars but moderating millions and millions of people's content and reading all these posts and getting through that getting through them and flagging them and unflagging the ones in appeals and, and all of that is just going to be a exorbitant cost could be to the point where facebook and twitter become a subscription program we had to subscribe to be a member of it mm. so there, there are all kinds of different changes that can happen if if it goes to full repeal of section 230 and that's and again there's no one that's going to well very few people who are going to say that section 230 needs to stand as it is exactly most people are saying it, it needs to be somewhere in the middle. It needs to be that nice little middle ground where they get some of the protections, but they lose other protections to, to keep the, the hate speech, the fake news and all that off. Mm. I must say, as somebody who's a bit of a fan of old fashioned forums, I'm struggling to see any problems here. <laughs> 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 so, Justin, we've you know, touched on this a little bit, but just to kind of crystallize it. Trump has nearly three months left in office, amazingly. Um, is there anything that he could likely do in that time that will materially impact the tech scene? Or is it not a lame duck to a presidency, but you know, perhaps not as powerful as it was six months ago? In the next three months, there is still a lot of damage that can be done, of course. Um, he has executive order power. He has control of uh, the Congress. So if they want to push through laws, they want to suddenly push through the Section 230 revocation, if they want to uh, further tweak the net neutrality rule or further tweak the net neutrality repeal, make it even make it even stricter or, or something, or want to push through, want the DOJ to push harder on the on the antitrust litigation, th there's a lot they can still do at this point that can that can make big, significant changes in tech leading up into 2021. Will they actually do it? That remains to be seen. It's highly unlikely, but again, we're in a very different time and an unpredictable and unpredictable president. Hmm. So, if if he if he decides he gets a wild hair and wants to go after social media companies, go after big tech before Biden gets a chance to get in there and and, and do it his way, he has the opportunity to do it because, like I said, he controls the Congress and he's the president. He also has executive powers to to do things like that. So it is very much possible, highly unlikely, but very possible. 
Well, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for this week, although I'm sure this won't be the last time we'll be discussing Biden's tech policy on this show. Once again, thanks to our colleague Justin Coupler for joining us. Thank you for having me. And thanks to you for listening. You can find links in the show notes to all the topics we've spoken about today and even more on our website, www.itpro.co.uk. Don't forget to subscribe to the IT Pro podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and we'll be back next week with even more from the world of IT. But until then, goodbye. Bye. The IT Pro podcast is brought to you by the Dennis Podcast Network.